You're listening to Playback, a Variety iHeartRadio podcast. I'm your host, Variety Awards editor Chris Tapley. This week I'm talking to multi-hyphenates David Diggs and Rafael Casal, whose new film Blindspotting hits theaters July 20th. We talk about that long gestating project and the Bay Area music scene that shaped these two guys, among other things. So sit tight. This is Playback. Peanut butter, peanut butter, peanut butter. <laughs> For breakfast. That's what I do. My kid likes peanut butter on waffles. Oh, peanut yeah. Peanut butter on waffles. Yeah, man. Like, do you do you make a kid real waffles, or are these Eggos? Oh, no, man. These are Eggos. Yeah, yeah. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna, Although my wife does do, like, uh, she'll mix up muffin batter so she can sneak, like, zucchini and, like, vegetables into the uh, Oh, something yeah. he'll actually eat. Very so smart. She How does old that. the kid? He just turned two. Very smart. Yeah. Little zucchini in the waffle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's not too bad, man. Yeah. The, the sugary taste overpowers the, the right. vegetable taste. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, damn. Uh, I still I still get Eggo waffle cravings sometimes. They're good. Yeah, that's, a, that's, a life, that's a lifetime craving, especially yeah. if you have one. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're fucked. You have one. Like, that's just what you do now. Damn. That's good. <laughs> gotta stay away from that. We had Boots Riley in here last week. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oakland, little Oakland represent I last know. couple of he weeks. He just saw the film. I still haven't. I was trying to get there this weekend and didn't make it. So I might, it's crazy. I might try and go during our break today. I didn't know much about it, and I just saw it a couple of weeks ago. I was in Sundance, saw Blind Spotting there, I'll talk about. But I didn't see his movie there, and uh, so I didn't really know a lot about it. And it's it goes places, man. Go check it. You saw it, so you liked it. Or you saw it anyway. I don't know if you actually well, liked you it. You just told me I liked it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't say that. If you saw it, you must have liked it. If you saw it, you must have liked it. It feels like my kind of movie. Like, I'm fairly certain I'm going to like it. He told me I was going to like it. So, there you go. It's good stuff, man. Oh, he's still going. But What do you put on your Eggos? What do you put on your Eggos, sir? Syrup. Syrup. I just straight butter. I don't even really like syrup on it. If I if I use like a little jam, I'll throw a little jam on it. I don't. If I if I use syrup, it's it's like in a, in four little squares or something. I like it very <laughs> sparingly. I like a full pool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, I'm, when I'm messing with the water, it's not surprising. <laughs> yeah. give, me the, give me the whole to the brim. <laughs> fried chicken too. I'm, I'm down with the fried chicken and waffles. A little fried chicken in there. Syrup and fried chicken. You got it. Thanks so much, guys. You put a fried egg on there with some syrup? It's nice. Fried egg. See, that kind of, like, now they're making art out of here. Yeah, dude. I'm just trying to eat the whole box and then (laughs) feel terrible about myself. (laughs) I just want to eat the whole box of Eggos and then cry myself to sleep. (laughs) All right. I'll pull up my questions here. Uh, I don't know if the last guys were telling you, but the closer you can get to the mics, the better. I'm familiar with the SM7. Are you? Yeah. Wow. I guess you would be with the music. It's like, yeah, this is the travel rig. <laughs> <laughs> These things are like tanks. <laughs> Put them in your bag. They won't get fucked up. Totally. They sound great. All right. We are recording, so we're going to jump in. All right, everyone. I'm here today with the writers and stars of Blind Spotting, David Diggs and Rafael Casal. Did I say that correct? Yeah, Casal? you did. Okay. You did nailed it right. out the gate. I saw the movie in Sundance, as I was saying. Uh, 
awesome movie. I saw it at Sundance. I saw it at like 11.30 p.m. Oh, oh I know. Yeah. yeah one of those the ones. Egyptian. Yeah. Oh, man. I, we didn't get to go to that one, right? That's the one we didn't get to go to. Oh, yeah. It was exciting. It's Oakland awesome. was definitely in the house yeah. for that screening. Carlos the was there, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That feels like a lifetime ago, Sundance, all Does of a sudden. That's so crazy. We've been talking ago. about this movie since then. I wanted to, I wanted to start there. What was your, your Sundance experience like? A blur. Yeah. <laughs> a blur, man. We don't, you know, we didn't get to see any movies when we were there, which is the, the only unfortunate thing. It was, it was such a. Luckily, the movie was really well received there, and so we're in this press uh, tornado for the bulk of the time there. But, uh, but you know, the 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 ironic part is we're more like movie buffs. And we didn't get to see any damn movies. Yeah, I mean, like, very excited to go back to Sundance as just a spectator. I've been twice, and the, the first time was the year before, to play a show, to play a yeah, concert. We, we played a concert um, there for, for a concert for another movie, but we weren't a part of that movie. Yeah, yeah. But as one of the composer series that they've been they've started doing at Sundance, our friend Samora uh, Pinderhughes had us out to, to play a concert with him, and that was great, but also didn't get to see movies. And so one year I'll go to Sundance and just watch some yeah, damn movies. Because <laughs> it seems like that would be really fun to do there. Yeah, it seems is... like the people doing that are having a great time. Yeah. Although uh, the other end of the spectrum is, you know, when you're working the festival as a journalist and you're seeing like six movies in a day. Yeah. That, that's not, for me personally, I don't like that. <laughs> because yeah, it's just... I could see how I, I could see how you know your perspective on whether or not you're watching a good piece of work can get warped after a while yeah, yeah. if i'm a filmmaker i don't want somebody in there like when they on saw their like fifth movie. on their yeah. fifth movie yeah. of the day yeah. and exhausted yeah i guess uh, yeah i think the moral is that like if you're working at a film festival it kind of sucks yeah but if you're just chilling <laughs> it's awesome but like for any being side a of film it. spectator <laughs> is pretty great absolutely uh how did you guys meet i want to start there and kind of work our way into the movie. Diggs, how did we meet? This story that you've probably told a million times by now. Only today. Uh, the, we met in Two high school. Two years ago. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, we met at a poetry slam in high school. We both fancied ourselves poets. Only one of us was. I'll let you figure out which one. <laughs> um, and then we didn't hang out much. He was four years younger than me. I went off to college. Came back and, and Raphael was running a recording studio in North Oakland. Some mutual friends were like playing our music for each other, and uh, and that was it. I, I I went over to the to the studio. We like stayed up making songs. We would say that that studio session never ended. It's just <laughs> still going. Uh, yeah, fourteen we just years stuff. now. We just fifteen years. Together, right? What did you guys bond over in the arts and and? Also, I'm curious, what do you, what did you differ over in the arts? We for sure bonded over music yeah. at first, but I think what, you know, we're of that multi-hyphenate artist generation where like you're you always do five other things, and so mm. bleeding over into theater was easy for us, and poetry was to a certain degree both of our bases, <clears throat> um, and you know, and 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 then we were both educators too, and so the, the, there are so many. So many touch points were similar. Differ? What do things differ? Uh, we have slightly different music tastes, I guess. Yeah. Well, also, like Raphael has much more of an ear for 
what is popular than I do. You know what I'm saying? Like working with rap well, on a song. My ear like, is 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 better. It just I care. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think you also know. Like there's something about working on a song with rapper where like all of a sudden he taps into whatever is zeitgeist to you right now, and you don't even know how he did it. Like he's just wired that way. Mm-hmm. Like he can he he feels like what the the pulse of music is on and i am not wired that way at all mm-hmm. so like i, I uh, is it an immersion thing are you more immersed in that than maybe no I, I would argue I would, that i am more immersed i support that argument but i but what i what i will say is different about the way we listen to music mm. is i pick four albums and that's all i listen to for six months <laughs> with with no interruption Dig, like when I'm at Diggs, the 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 identifier of Diggs's <laughs> car was chaos <laughs> and a, just a, a trunk full of CD binders of CDs because Diggs every Tuesday would go at to Amoeba or Tower or wherever it was that, that had all of the newest releases of music and just buy everything that just came out mm-hmm. and then he would listen to everything one time through mm-hmm. and then I would get in his car and whatever made it from that first purchase to the binders <laughs> I would hear right. and I would really just open the binders and go what's good <laughs> and him sort of knowing my taste would go we should listen to this you're probably not going to like this but this is diet uh, we should listen to this you know and it, it would either be that's the newest stuff or in there were also things that like had stayed with Diggs over the last 10, 15, 20 years of his life. So I'd also go like, what is this? Oh, that's like an old, you know, Bootsy Collins record. We're going to listen to that whole thing on this drive. Mm-hmm. You know, and so my, I, you know, I, for a lot of people, had a very wide spread of, of, uh, of taste in music. But in relation to Diggs, I mean, Diggs listens to literally everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that... That was sort of the, the the obsessive difference. I mean, he gets obsessed over albums too and listens to them nonstop. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I, I latch on to certain things that are like I know he hasn't listened to the Drake album five times. <laughs> I haven't. It's <laughs> true. I listened but to I it once. I did my I, yeah. du- I did my duty. <laughs> did, did my duty. I suffered the- through that thing <laughs> one time. Shots fired. <laughs> I suffered through it twice. Thanks for the headline. I loved it the third. I loved it the third time. <laughs> Kiana, Kiana talked me into it. Oh yeah. <laughs> A youngster, a youngster who like has even more of a pulse on it than I do was like the Drake album was dope. I was like, "Are you sure?" She was like, "Yeah." I was like, "All right, <laughs> let's do it again." I was like, "Okay." <laughs> She's wrong. There's some great beats on it. <laughs> there are things. There's not. It's just why? Who needs that many whiny ass songs? I don't know well, here's the thing. That's different. I I agree that it's too long, but I think uh, that I don't know. If that's a Drake thing so much as a like we were just talking about this earlier. Is like that what we loved about what Kanye and and Pusha and Cuddy just did. Whether or not you like the music, is they're just further and f- like people are further cementing this idea that like seven or eight songs is an album, like mm-hmm. that is an acceptable release. You can call it what you want to, but again, categories nobody really fucking cares. But an eight track <laughs> release is like a is the bar now. It's be- <laughs> no, it's not even a mixtape. It's a, just a thing yeah, that is an yeah. acceptable release. It's so a that- complete thought, and this is the problem with Drake's album is that it's like so. It- it it is one. It's a, there's only one thought on that motherfucker, and it lasts for hours. It feels like when uh, there's a moment when Frank Ocean released a bunch of songs right after mm-hmm. Channel Orange, and it was like forty records, right? Yeah, and they're dope, but like I never got through all forty. It's just so daunting. See, I did. <laughs> and I those were Frank interesting, Ocean, but I couldn't do it. Uh, but I'm I'm glad, I thought those were like different and interesting, and like. Yeah. The, the difference is but we're not though because no, no, no. I listen to <laughs> hell of R&B that Diggs probably oh, won't yeah, fuck with for sure. like, yeah. I love R&B in a way that like Diggs enjoys R&B 
but not. Give, not me, give me an example of that. Of like, like I enjoy James Blake, and Diggs hates him. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't care. You know, about but, I, but I think I think that there's things about like top, like top line artists and melody artists that is where Diggs cares slightly less. Yeah. Uh, and what makes Raphael really good at at things like writing hooks, at things like you know that is an, that's an, an incredibly important skill that I'm aware that I don't have. And uh, but I know when I'm writing a song, depending on the lyrical content and the kind of top line, whether or not Diggs is going to be like dope or like meh. You know, <laughs> that was one we just did the other day where like I wrote it and went. I know exactly where this is going to sit for Diggs. He's going to be like, this is really good. It's very radio-y. Is it on brand for me? Partial credit. <laughs> you know? And I know that. And I know, I, and I know what that means. Yeah. You know, was local music, uh, the, you know, the Bay Area scene important to you coming up? I mean, I, huge. You know, I, I remember was the only yeah. we, we, the last interview we just did. They asked us. They asked us what our top five were, and we we all, we know the answer to that. The first answer to that is always. E40 is our favorite rapper. Mm-hmm. When you're the favorite rapper with somebody else, and you guys are hip hop heads, like you're probably good for everything. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, for yeah. all the same reasons that that's your favorite rapper is the reason why you can be best friends. Right, <laughs> right, right. right. You know, you that's get... our that's our stepbrothers moment. Right. <laughs> <laughs> is E40 your favorite rapper? Yes, did we just become best friends? <laughs> we did, which is easy in the Bay Area if you both have, you know if you both love E40. Like, th- there's so much there that that means. You that love means language. Yeah. You love like. You love uh, the specificity of your area. You love you love uh, uh, this innovative slang culture. You love you love sort of aspects of pimp culture and hustle culture that's like mm-hmm. super fascinating to a lot of people. Um, and uh, and mm-hmm. you have a certain sense of feeling like an underappreciated person because that's what E Forty is to a certain degree. It's like an artist who has done so much for hip hop. And so rarely does he get any credit for it. And like mm. that isn't that is not just an E forty specific thing. That's a Bay Area specific thing about culture. It's a big part of why we wanted to make this movie is to mm-hmm. be like, you don't realize how much impact the Bay Area has had on totally on culture across the country and around the world. Um, and not that the film is not addressing that, but it's just showing how beautiful the Bay Area is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, uh, and in that, we've curated all this music that accompanies mm-hmm. it and all this slang that accompanies yeah. it as sort of a nod to that feeling. Were you uh, big into the Soul Sides crew at all? I was a huge Oh, yeah. Fan I, that's of a big-ass question. Was, like, yeah, that yeah. question right there, that's a big question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. The answer is no. You're the not answer is yes. Really? I, I was for sure. I used to see... Do I know who that is? <laughs> Yeah, Quantum, all those guys. They became oh, Quantum, Quantum later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, so like Black, it was Black Blacklicious. Blacklicious, Lyrics Born. Lyrics Born, yeah. I fucked with Lyrics Born, too. I used to, uh, I used to see Gift of Gab in Amoeba. He was also a music head, and he was in Amoeba every Tuesday. And yeah. I, this all growing up, I would see him there every Tuesday and never once spoke to him. I was way too mm. starstruck to talk to him, because this is my understand. This is my like limited understanding of the world at that time. Like That, to me, was a major star. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how like not true it really that what you know say, but to me like from the bay like that was that dude was to me a major major star, and I could never talk to him. And then we ended up when I was in college, we ended up backstage at a concert together or something. I finally like told him that story that I just told you. <laughs> it was a great moment for me. <laughs> I always saw lyrics born at um. What's that? What's that cafe that everybody goes to in Berkeley on Milvia and University? That's open to emulate. Venice? No. Cocolet. Uh, uh, yeah, Cocolet. Yeah. <laughs> like, I would be there doing like Laney College homework, right? 
and he would be there like also working on something but I can't imagine well maybe Lyrics Born does write lyrics out of Coco Lay seems possible that's possible get a little cheesecake and a latte and, yeah, yeah. and knock out these bars yeah very possible Picture the next time probably. you listen to it yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. uh, this is real inside baseball who, who, I'm getting into the weeds on music but I kind of wanted to yeah. Yeah. Quantum Latirics Latirics that first yeah, Latirics. That, that first album man that self titled or no what was it called the, I tried the, to get us the quick Quantum they said no oh, yeah. I talked to the dude who ran it he said we weren't quite there yet fuck you <laughs> <laughs> bitch you know you know Mac B Dog yeah he had a song on one of the like the Soul Sides collect- collection mm-hmm. things called Hot Breath. It's like one I of the remember dopest Hot Breath. songs. Yeah, yeah. It's like a minute and a half. Yeah. It's like one verse and a chorus. Or if, yeah, it might not yeah, even have a chorus. Yeah. It was like a totally unfinished. Or it felt like yeah, it was weird, just like a thing. But it had happened. the greatest line I ever heard, which is no longer relevant. But at the time, it was just this. You went out like Mark Hamill. <laughs> that was the line. <laughs> and that line just Damn. killed me. <laughs> but, you know, Mark Hamill's back, obviously. It's back. Uh, he's, doing, he's doing great. He's the voice of the Joker for a long time. You don't understand how much money that fool has made. No doubt. Yeah, yeah. Same thing happened last week. Like I said, I had Boots Riley on, and we were talking about <clears throat> music. And uh, you know, Oakland's having a moment. Yeah. Obviously, uh, I mean, we, the coup Boots told Bam was very <clears throat> important to me. Yeah. Pam the Functionist also, you know, rest in peace, uh, the the DJ for the coup, mm-hmm. who was just like the party DJ growing up. And then I, you know, I went to tons of parties that she DJed, and would also watch her like do the tournaments, and she would like scratch with her tits. It was ama- she was amazing, <laughs> and uh, and then R.I.P. Uh, I saw her at um, at a at a little club in this is when I'm doing Hamilton on Broadway. And we get a we get a call we get an email at intermission that Prince wants to wants us all to wants to do a show for us after the show hmm. like wants us all to come to this club and Prince wants to perform for us and we were like what like so the whole cast goes and Pam had been Prince's DJ for the last bunch of years so I'm sitting there in in this concert about to watch Prince perform and Pam is DJing for him and the whole show was Pam Prince and one dancer mm-hmm. that was the whole show. And like, good so to, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so to be like, so to be in this room, and this is 31 days before Prince died. Oh. So I'm in this room with a woman who I I grew up watching, who is performing, who's been touring with Prince now for the last bunch of years as, as like Prince's club date DJ, mm-hmm. you know? It's just an unbelievable experience for me. Well, like I said, Oakland's having this big moment in, in film with with Boots's film, with your film, you know, with the with stuff Ryan Coogler's been <clears throat> putting together. Yeah, I think Ryan takes the cake on that one. <laughs> we'll, he we'll make our time. Yeah, we'll, we'll, take, we'll, we'll, we'll take our our part in that. Sure. Well, you guys have made a very potent kind of representation of of, of where you grew up. But I'm, why do you think Oakland is popping right now like that? Well, Oakland is popping for non-film reasons. <laughs> Oakland is popping because uh, the real estate is cheaper than San Francisco. That's why Oakland's popping. Well, right sure, now. yeah. Um, but in the arts, why? Why do you think? I, I mean, they have something to do with it. Maybe. I mean, your mm, film is all about that. I don't. I don't think it does. I think. No? I think we've. I think Boots has been working on his film damn near as long as us. People have been trying to make movies about the Bay Area for a long time. Licks mm-hmm. tried to do it. Kicks tried to do it, and they did do it. I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Fruvel was was early on. It's it's not like filmmakers haven't been trying to tell those stories for a while. Mm-hmm. Like I also feel like if if Boots movie came out next year and our movie came out this year, we wouldn't be having this conversation sure. about a moment. Like yeah. it doesn't take much for it to feel like a moment. It Absolutely. really just takes like two. 
Um, but I, but I think there's a generation of people that grew up in the Bay Area who felt like the Bay Area got no shine mm-hmm. or got no attention for the narrative that it that it had been telling. And again, how much game it's giving so many other places. I mean, there are you know. There are plenty of shows on, that have passed through television in the last 10 years that have claimed to be in the Bay Area. I mean, Full House is in the Bay Area. It's mm-hmm. not like there's not been Bay Area content. Mm-hmm. It just hasn't been made by Bay Area people. You know, Parenthood was supposedly based in Berkeley. That was absurd. <laughs> nothing about that show. I grew up in Berkeley. That's not Berkeley. Right. I don't know any of those people. I remember he was at a bar once, a tequila bar on San Pablo Avenue in Berkeley. I was like, fuck you. That bar does not exist. <laughs> what are you, at the Albatross, you liar? <laughs> those Let's people would not clear. let you in there in a suit. He was like in a suit on a payphone at a tequila bar on San Pablo. I was like, who wrote this, you liar? You Google map liar. <laughs> um, you know, and that, but that's the same... There's been so many moments where people come in and they, and they do their best to like pay tribute to it. Like I, it was it's like when Tyga came and lo- fell in love with the Bay Area and got fell in love with Bay Area production, and then his next four albums all sounded like Bay Area music. We knew that he got it from there, and he said it too. But that was as far as it went. Mm-hmm. And then everyone just associated that with LA's new sound. But mm-hmm. we all knew, and Tyga knew, and and didn't try to hide it said that that was the time in the Bay Area. Wayne and Drake both came to the Bay Area and fell in love with Bay Area music and took that sound. And Drake says it in lyrics all the time. It just mm-hmm. goes over people's head because a Mac Dre reference is so specific <laughs> right, right. that you don't get what he's saying when he says, rest in peace, Mac Dre. We're gonna do, rest in peace, Mac Dre. We're going to do it for the Bay. Mm-hmm. That's huge for us. We know right. what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been source material for so long, but the, the people who get to then put it on the main stage haven't really been Bay Area people who feel that obligation to tell the whole story. There was a period like when we were coming up to where the Warriors felt like training camp for great (laughs) players and they would go so like we all we have this chip on our shoulders at the Bay like you know like the great great players would come through the Warriors and then and then leave and and go somewhere else and become great you know we would sort of watch them becoming great in time for them to leave and so yeah you're right there are a lot of things that point to this moment right now like two championships like three championships and like you know like there's a there's it's been boiling for so long yeah yeah, yeah. so I, I, but i think um we there is in a community that is changing so rapidly and where context is always being lost and all of this stuff i think a lot of artists from there feel this need to tell these stories mm-hmm. in particular right now you know maybe where we had fantasies about it before it feels urgent right now because if we don't get these stories out now it will be gone it'll be yeah. unrecognized it feels like it's preserving an endangered species yeah. or something you know you it's have a, to it's a, it's a reflection get it on of the right fucking now. internet generation it's a reflect mm-hmm. you know like access is different now like you know back in the day labels like quantum and these places were the only places that indie artists could get the the megaphone right mm-hmm. and then came the digital wave right that, that allowed people to build up enough clout to even make a movie or a you know or a visual album or an, you know an album on their own like technology is caught up in a way where the 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 labels and the the studios are not necessarily dictating where things are getting made in, in the same way anymore mm-hmm. um we always talk about the bay area as our our whoville right it's this it's a small little thing that if you if you look closely at it, it has all this culture and all these big characters and big voices and interesting stories. Um, and when you live there and you see one of those things become real size for everyone else, uh, it's inspiring, right? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't take much, you know, 
the Warriors, you know, even just Steph Curry coming and becoming this massive star and these other players becoming these celebrities and repping the town and, like, having a parade down the middle of the town, like, mm-hmm. makes your city feel a little bit bigger and more important, right? Yeah. So you're, you're, suddenly your context is more relatable. And the more relatable your context is, the more you can do with it, right? Yeah. So the first time we saw real Bay Area shit happening around the country, even when the hyphy movement had its, like, quick little burst mm-hmm. into the national conversation, it was like, at least we had a reference point. We'd go somewhere and be like, oh, yeah, y'all are on that hyphy shit. You know, it's like, <laughs> right. cool, you don't really know what that means, but at least we have a, we could start somewhere. Yeah, right. exactly. You know. Well, let's drill down into the movie. You've been working on this for a decade. Uh, you wanted to tell a story just looking at the gentrification that was happening in Oakland and, as you were just saying, David, about just the catch, catching it before it's gone, essentially. But talk to me about what, what did you – when you sat down and you first wanted to write a story – that took place in Oakland that represented where you come from. What was the kernel? What was the central thesis? We want to say this. Well, the, I mean, the the real thesis was created by our producer, Jess Calder, who found Raphael via a YouTube wormhole looking at his poetry stuffing and mm-hmm. approached him and said, do you, do you think some of the way that you write verse would translate into a film? Mm-hmm. Um and later, when I was sort of brought into the fold, um, we, you know, that was really the linchpin was about verse, about how do we use verse, and then about us wanting to tell a Bay Area story. We knew that that was the case. Very shortly, or around that same time, I don't remember it was before or after, but Oscar Grant was was killed at Fruitvale Bar Station. So all of a sudden, in order to tell an, a Bay Area story, that's the story we're talking about. You know, we have to. That that was just in the air, and it was a you know Oscar's face was everywhere. There were protests and riots and all these things. Like we had to, so that sort of became. We knew that was going to be an instigating incident in the film. Um, we knew it would star us. We knew it would be in verse. We knew it would be about Oakland, and that was it. That was the yeah. I don't even know that gentrification was like a word we were throwing around as as a major theme. It was just it, it was a convention that we could use. To uh, originally, the idea of them as movers was the, the way to get around to all these different points of view in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened is over ten years, it went from like there's some influx of people to there's a massive takeover of people not from the Bay Area, and so the urgency raised for us about this time capsule, this moment. But I don't know that. In the beginning, we were like, we want to talk about gentrification. Sure. We wanted to talk about... We wanted to show a bunch of different neighborhoods. So that's why we made yeah. the movers, was so that they could go from place yeah, to place yeah, yeah. and we could show as much of... We could show off as much of Oakland as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, themes that developed as you started writing, I mean, to me, a theme that kind of pops out is, is just about identity and who you are. And I think about the scene with you at the party and that you don't have to act ghetto to hang out here and that, that's that, a that's a layered moment <laughs> to say the least i mean it's a challenge to who, who he feels like he is and uh your reaction is so potent in that moment and i just you know how did these themes start to develop i guess on the page i mean i think we were just trying to tell these stories honestly so we never really thought of it in terms of like an issue we not we needed to, there was never a moment where we were like mm-hmm. Got to really dial in on identity here. You know, <laughs> sure. um, it was just about who is Miles at this <laughs> yeah. point. It was about putting Colin and Miles in this in this particular situation. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the the countdown, the the probation countdown was an interesting point, right? When we sort of settled on that as a as a clock by which we would be able to follow the film. Mm-hmm. 
that ramps things in an interesting way. So it was yeah. always about making choices for these characters that end up forcing their hands or forcing their, you know, it, it ramps up situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so... Yeah, that provides it, a layer of tension to everything he does. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. And so, and I think Miles, in response, has to, you know, their lives are... are Inseparable, so they can't, you know. So Miles has to respond to the same clock, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the that's one of the big problems. Really. That's what's sort of coming to a head in that scene, right? It's like Miles hasn't yet understood that his that Colin's life is so drastically different now than the you know. Than, and, and Miles isn't worried about it in that scene, right? You know, he's he's upset about his own how displaced he feels, even in this party, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. That que- yeah, that question of you don't have to add ghetto to hang out here. It's so layered. It's yeah. like, what do you mean by ghetto? <laughs> do you think that he thinks that he's acting ghetto and that's what he used it? Do you think that's what ghetto is, the way that he's acting? Yeah. Who does Miles think Terry is in that moment? Like, yeah. Does he think he's a local? Does he think he's a preppy local from a nicer neighborhood of Oakland? Does he think, yeah. you know, so he's just somebody on. who got him fucked up and, yeah. <laughs> and he needs to put him in his place? Yeah. Which he's probably done a hundred times throughout right. his life. Had somebody, you know, a street kick him up to him, never seen Miles before and say like, you know, give him, give him any sort of sense that he doesn't belong there. And Miles has belonged there his whole life and grew up there and has to, you know, Miles has probably had to claim his space with his peers more than any one of his peers has ever had to, mm-hmm. you know, and so him, him being a little bit of a powder keg in that moment, like to him, it's totally justified. Is any of yourself going into that character? I mean, sure. We're actors. Of course, of yeah. course, of course there is. Um, my, a lot of my context growing up was growing up around black and brown people. So yes, mm-hmm. that, that assertion of, of ownership of space. Absolutely. Um, I don't know that I've ever had that moment happen. I don't know that I've ever. I don't because I'm usually around people that know my context. Right, know? right, right. And the the level of gentrification that Oakland is at now is so far beyond what it was when yeah. we lived there. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, yeah, I, I I can't. I actually am less bothered by that moment than I am the moment right before that. That the exchange that he has <laughs> with Sid, trying to reveal what happens when he's walking in, and mm-hmm. and. Uh, that I that I have experienced more when somebody when somebody is dressing up as you a little bit, you know. <laughs> right, right. That's a weird feeling. Mm-hmm. I feel that we. Yeah, I, I feel that way sometimes when I when I feel like somebody is, and, is any, and anybody can relate to this, I guess. When you feel like somebody is in some to some degree appropriating your experience. Yeah. And and that's not authentic to there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the project goes places very much as you were talking about with the verse. It dovetails with what you guys have been doing with theater and theater and verse and the bars workshop and things like this. So uh, I guess I just want to talk about that. Um, it's it's a unique way to tell stories that should – you'd think it would be more developed even than it is now already. I mean it's it's kind of something that you guys have planted your flag in, and I just want you to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, well, I think, you know – the earliest examples of theater are in verse, right? Verse has, has been around as a as a mm-hmm. mode of performance and storytelling yeah. for a long time, and we came up through this poetry scene in which you you learn 
verse skills in order to force people to listen to you, right? That's why you teach kids poems, because mm-hmm. nobody cares what they have to say, so you make it sound pretty, and then everyone will listen to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's technique to that, too. You you know, you rhyme the... In, and this is the same technique that's happening in, in verse-driven theater, too. But, you you know, if you... The phrase that you rhyme, people are going to hear the rhyme. So uh, so you need someone's ear to pay attention to something. That is a, that's a technique. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, stressed and unstressed syllables. It's another... These are all just techniques, right, um, that have been around for a long time. Uh, but what, applied to contemporary... Yeah, and, yeah. and even still have been happening in, you know, in the performance poetry world yeah. and in hip-hop. Certainly, like, yeah. all of these techniques are used all the time. We don't see it in film a lot yeah. in this way in that we didn't want it to feel like a musical and we didn't want them to feel like... We didn't want to make Colin and Miles aspiring musicians. This wasn't a story about how two, like, budding rappers discovered their rap voice. You know, like, (laughs) this is a practical and fun tool used in the way we sort of grew up using. I mean, that, and that's another very Bay Area thing. Language is so important to us there. And it is, you know, there's a, there's a, a conversation where Miles is engaging in a sale with somebody on the street and it's all in like really thick slang. That's mm-hmm. real slang. Like those, those aren't joke words. That's, mm-hmm. that's real Bay talk and conversations mm-hmm. like that happen. And in those conversations, you're trying to one up each other in how fly your, your speech is. And that's, that's sort of a, a cultural norm that we grew up around. So there's another thing we sort of wanted to show off about the Bay Area. Um, but yeah, so using you know using verse in all of the ways verse has been used historically, but then just burying it a little bit, mm-hmm. being a little, making it a little less about this is a moment in verse, and really just using it as part of the way that people talk in order to justify where we get to at the end, which mm-hmm. is essentially this is a moment in verse because yeah. it has to be, you know. Um, but that so that that was what we were trying to do with the film. Mm-hmm you know from a from a technical standpoint and i think um and i don't know it is it has proven to be a useful tool for us and for so many of the kinds of artists we grew around you know we're both mentored by a guy named mark bamuti joseph who's um an incredible playwright and performance artist and poet and dancer and um his work is always in verse too, and it functions the same way. It functions. It it is practical. The, <laughs> yeah. uh, the verse is for a purpose. It's not. It's not just because it's pretty. It makes you listen differently, and uh, so I, we imagine it can be a useful tool in film as well. It has already proven to be in things that are more like, musical. Well, at least for me, we feel like the right people to do it. I mean, we had done, we had done the work in the in the medium, and I think when we spent a decade thinking about how to how to do it. In a way that felt natural, and there's you know there's other films that have involved poetic verse in other capacities, and there's theater that has that has done it in recent years, and it's 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 been in solo works for a long time. A lot of poets have gone on to do solo performance works that are heavily in verse, mm-hmm. uh, and this just felt like new ground. I mean, I think anytime you have a a, a unique take on a medium, you go for it, right? That's there is. If there's any sort of uh, interesting moment happening with Oakland film, it's that both ours and Boots Riley's film take a hard swing at a at a, like a slightly new convention for how you approach film. I mean, the the, yeah. the level of absurdist comedy that's in Boots is sort of unmatched by anything I've seen in recent years, and I think to the same degree, like I haven't seen anything 
take a swing for verse verse driven work in a film like like ours and that, that i think that's in it being innovative in the medium is something that we have a lot of pride in in the bay area right we are mm-hmm. innovating language we're innovating cadence like that's huge in the music mm-hmm. and so i think it is inherently there in the spirit of us as artists being from the bay area to try to to try to flip it yeah to give it like a you know to dial it up another notch if we're going to do it let's dial it up sure yeah. Was that specific to this project? Is it something that you'd want to do in other films? Keep keep exploring this idea, or sure, but not not as a through line. Yeah, I mean, yes, I'm sure we will do much more work in film in verse again, mm-hmm. but I, it it will be different. Yeah, we did it this way, so we'll yeah. figure out a new way. Yeah, to do I don't it. think it's like our aesthetic for everything we do, <laughs> but I think it in, you know verse work will always inform an aspect of the film sometimes it might just be the score mm. you know how do you use how do you use music and and i mean a verse is so much about timing and tone and and uh giving a scene the energy that it needs to do the thing that it's supposed to do so mm-hmm. like any convention in film or in theater works the same as a really great lighting cue or a really great you know music cue like that's it's a thing to make you focus your attention and look at us at the spot we want you to look at yeah, and I was going to ask you, Raphael, if you are, are you uh, interested in pursuing acting further beyond this? Is yeah, it, yeah, because yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I wasn't actually sure. I mean, this is this is your first feature, right? To start in. Yeah, it's both of our first features to start. In. <laughs> That's true. Wait, is that your first? You've been doing the TV and been doing TV. To start, and I've had yeah. coast like I've had yeah. whatever wonder, feature wonder parts. Was yeah, yeah. But I, I, point being, I, I can see David is going in that direction. I wasn't sure if that was what you were interested yeah, in. As well. Yeah, yeah, man. Everyone's got to have a first one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is a good uh, first one. Yeah, I don't to say that we're fucking stupid to quit right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, just I just didn't know if you wanted to go back to you know or stick with your spoken word stuff that you're you've been entrenched in for so long, and if that's like I don't think you pick, man. I don't. Yeah. I don't think there's. I don't. You know, that'd be like, well, now that David's done his first movie, I guess he's going to quit music. Like, of course not. Right. Right. You know. But now, now we have an opportunity to do it in a different, on a different level, in a different capacity. Like we're musicians, we're writers. Diggs and I are going to write more movies. Mm-hmm. We're going to produce more movies, and hopefully some TV shows and whatever. You know, there's a door opener, not a, not a, not a, not a narrowing. Not a, I, said my, I gave my story. And no, right. not yeah, yeah. not at all, For man. Sure. Uh, we're you know, there's if anything, we just we just came into a hallway with infinitely more doors than we ever had before. And I think it is in our nature as multi-hyphenate artists to like multi-hyphenate a few more fucking times. <laughs> you know? That's um, the first time that's been used as a verb, I'm pretty sure. Too <laughs> multi-hyphenate, yeah. <laughs> well, everybody should check out Creating this movie. Mm-hmm. Boom. <laughs> Blind Spotting's the movie. I loved it. It's one of the best movies I've seen all year. It opens July 20th. 20th. And wide on the 27th. And wide on the 27th. Go see it. Blind spotting. David Diggs and Raphael Casal, thank you for coming on my show. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much, man. So fun.